This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, New Life. Excited to see you today. If you're brand new with us, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors at our church, and I will be guiding us through our time together for the rest of the morning. And for all of us, I want to give you some tools and some ways to help you engage on the journey that we're going to go on together. Inside your program, you should pull out two things. One is this card that says, start here. It's our connection card. This will help us help you connect. Connect with what we're doing in the church, what we're doing in the city, what we're doing around the world. Ultimately, our hope as a church is that somewhere along this journey, you're going to want to connect with God, and this will help us help you connect with God when that time comes. So go ahead and put your name and email address on this if you're brand new with us. If you're regular, just go ahead and put your name on it, and we're going to be using this. All of us are going to be using this a little bit later on this morning, so go ahead and get that. The other thing that will help you on this journey are these teaching notes. They've got the Bible verses that I'm using, uh, some fill-in-the-blanks for you to think about, and then some space on the back just to write notes or to write questions, uh, things to talk about with your, with your roommates, with your friends, with your family as you head home today. Well, we are right in the midst of our friending series. And our friending series kind of came about like this. We realized that social media has redefined the way that we view friendship. For example, we have, we have more friends, more fans, more followers, and more likes than possibly any time in human history. Think back just 20 years. No one 20 years ago would have said, I have 700 friends. You say, you're, you're crazy. That's the size of a small city. I have 700. You don't have seven. But now what do we do? We look at each other's Facebook page. It's kind of a status symbol. None of us would say it, but I know you do it. You look at each other's Facebook page and you see how many friends do they have? Wow, they've got a thousand friends. They've got 500 friends. They've got two friends. Oh. See, social media is redefining the way that we view friendship. We have more fans and followers and friends and likes than ever before. But a survey done recently said that that most Americans have very few close friendships. In fact, one out of four Americans, including probably those of us in this room, when they were surveyed, they said, we don't have a single close friend. And if sociologists are correct, and you and I are the average of our five closest friends, and that's what we explored on week one, that we are the average of our five closest friends in terms of socioeconomic status, in terms of our marriage, in terms of our ethics, in terms of how we spend our time, we are the average of our five closest friends, then I would say this, that the friends we choose in this life, the people that we lock arms with, the people that we invite into our closest circles of relationships, they are the single greatest factor in this world of shaping the impact and the direction, the trajectory of our lives. So we've been exploring the topic of friends and the topic of friendship, and it came out of one key verse written by one of the wisest men who ever lived in the Bible. His name is, is Solomon, and Solomon said this about friendship. He said, if you choose to walk with the wise, if you link up with people who are wise, then you will become wise simply by the very nature of being with them. And we know that's true. Have you ever walked with someone in life? And they're just, they're really good parents. And as you walk with them, man, something just rubs off on you and you find yourself being a better parent. Or you walk with someone who's wise with their finances and just by being around them, you, you become wise. Have you ever been around someone who has taken their dream and turned it into a reality and you looked at them and you rubbed shoulders with them and over time you began to think, maybe I could turn my dream into a reality. 
Solomon says that is the impact that relationships have. If we walk with the wise, we will become wise. But the other side of that coin is this. A companion of fools suffers harm. And I've said it this way from the beginning. If you hang out with idiots long enough, eventually you're going to become an idiot. Or at least do something idiotic, like throw frozen fish into a high school dance in Glendora, California, like I did. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you can go to newlifepetaluma.org and click on our podcast. I I air all my dirty laundry right there on Sunday mornings. So we're talking about the reality that walking with the wise gives us success in almost every area of our life. But on the other side of that coin, a companion of fools suffers harm. We began to say, well, what would, what would it look like for me to be a good friend? Before I, I look for a good friend, I want to become a good friend. So we talked about that in week two. And then, then we said this, what are some characteristics that we want to look for when we're trying to find a good friend? And I said, there are at least three things that we want to look for when we're trying to find a good friend. And then last week, Pastor Ron talked to us about community. And we, we tried something uh, a little bit different last week. We did an experiment, kind of a social experiment, and we turned the chairs to face each other because we thought if we're talking about community, why not look at each other? And it was, it was great. One of the things I love about our church uh, is that we don't take ourselves too seriously. We take God seriously. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Because I can tell you this, in many churches, if you change the seating arrangement on a Sunday morning, it would be the same as saying that Jesus is not God. I'm serious, in a lot of church. But you guys rolled with the punches. It was really fun. Although I will say this, uh, I get to stand at the back doors as we're doing worship, and I hug you and I greet you coming in. But last Sunday, I stood off to the corner because I wanted to see your expressions as you came in. I thought it'd be really, really funny, and I kind of like that kind of stuff. So I stood in the corner, and it was kind of like watching a hidden camera show. Here's, here's what the majority of you looked like when you walked in. You walked in, and you went, And then you looked at the person next to you who you came with, and you said, and you pointed. And I'm not, I'm not making this up. And then you walked to the side, and you started to count, where would the equivalent to my chair be in this? And then you walked to the other side, because that was taken. You started to count, where would the equivalent? And finally, you sat down, dazed, and, and you prayed a prayer, something like this. You said, God, please speak to me in this chair like you do in the other chair. It was, listen, that was a one-time thing. It was very fun to watch, and I'm so thankful that we don't take ourselves too seriously. If you missed last week and you missed that disorienting exercise, stick around for a few more weeks. We're always mixing stuff up because we like to keep it fresh and new life. Well, as we enter into our our discussion, our dialogue today, I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if this is true about you, and I want to warn you, this is true about you. So you're going to want to raise your hand, otherwise you're going to feel like that guy or that gal. No one wants to be that person. So um, raise your hand, then I'll tell you why this is true about you. How many of you have ever had a defining the relationship talk, a DTR? Go ahead, raise your This is when you want to raise your hand. Keep it up. It's okay. It's okay. Raise your hand. That's good. You're like, did I put on deodorant? I hope so. We've all had define the relationship talks, DTRs, and they take all kinds of forms. We have them in our job when you work in a company for two, three, four years, and it's that day where you go to your boss and you say, I've been working for you faithfully for multiple years, and I've done everything you've asked me to do and beyond. I want to I define this relationship. Where are we going in this partnership? Will I be advancing? Will I be staying here? You had a DTR in your job. We all have DTRs with our kids because about the time your kids hit, I don't know, like age two, uh, they begin to think that they know more than you do and they begin to think that they're the parent. 
For example, if you have a, a child, let's say his name is Landon, for example. Just pull a name out of a hat. And Landon yells at his sister yesterday. And you say to him, hey, buddy, buddy, you can't yell at your sister. You need to go to timeout. And then he screams at you, I don't want to go to timeout. You know what you have there? You have a unique opportunity to have a DTR with your son because he thinks that he is the parent who decides whether or not he goes to timeout. And then you get to say, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, son. You don't understand. You are the three-year-old. And let's say uh, your name is Kevin. Kevin Kevin is the dad. So you have it, and we, we have this dance with our children all the way through their adolescence to their teen years and into adulthood as we define and redefine relationships. Maria and I are celebrating our eight-year anniversary on Tuesday, which, which, yeah, thank you. Yeah, you should clap for her more than me. Yeah, she's stuck with me. I definitely married up. But as we were talking about our relationship, I began to think about way back in the beginning, you know, nine and a half years ago when we first met. And when we first met, Maria was living in Wisconsin, and I was living in Rohnert Park. But I was taking a a seminary course out at the national headquarters of the ministry that I was part of called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, uh, and she worked at the national office. So we met there. Six months later, we saw each other again at a major conference. At this time, we exchanged phone numbers and email addresses. And so then, slowly over the next, I don't know, seven months— we began to email each other because this was before we had Facebook and FaceTime. So we emailed each other about every other week. And then, I don't know, two months in, we started to, to instant message each other. Remember instant messenger? It was very exciting. That was the closest we got to real-time conversation. So we'd instant message each other. And then a couple months later, some of you were like, what's instant messenger? <laughs> instant messenger is how I learned how to type. That's what instant messenger is. And then a few months into that, we started calling each other about every other week, and then once a week, and then two, three, four times a week, we'd call each other. And that June, I was planning on flying out to Wisconsin again to take another seminary course at the national office because an opportunity came up. I prayed about it, and I felt like God wanted me to go see Maria. I mean, take a seminary course. And so I went out there, and my plan was this. My roommate said to me, Kevin, you're talking to this girl like all the time, and you haven't dated anyone in about four years. What are you going to do when you get there? And I thought, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the DTR with her because I really want to date her. I really do. And so I flew out there, and this was my plan. And if you're single, work with me because this is really smart. Single guys, I, I grew a beard for two months, and I buzzed my head, so I looked just awful. And I showed up wearing like a Stop Genocide in the Sudan t-shirt and some really ratty gray corduroys because I thought if I can look really bad, then I'll go to the hotel, I'll shave and clean up, and then the reveal will be that much better. That was my thinking. So I did. I went and I saw her. She looked at me like, who, what happened? What happened? I said, what do you mean, honey? I've been on a mission trip. I didn't say honey. That would have played my cards. She dropped me off at the hotel. I shaved. I got all clean. I did my hair. You know, and, and I went and saw her again, and she was like, whoa. <laughs> and uh, I said, hey, hey, Maria, let's take a walk together. And here's what we decided. It's end of June in Madison, Wisconsin, so we're talking like 90 degrees and humid. I said, here's a good idea. Let's go get some hot coffee together. So we went, and we got some hot coffee together, and, and we decided to walk over to a lake. And I'm not making this up. About two minutes into our walk, we're sipping, I'm sipping my coffee, and she says to me, Kevin, I want to do a treetop view of what's going on here. 
I'm like, well, here, going live. She said, you have been calling me and emailing me for months now. Do you like me? Do you want to have a relationship with me? Because if you don't, as a Christian guy, you should not be calling me this much. Amen. Wow. All my single ladies, can I talk to you for a second? If he's calling you every night, talking to you, but he's not willing to have the DTR with you, dump the chump. So at this moment, I've I've played this out in my head a hundred times. At this moment, I freak out and I totally choke. I hold my coffee up to my mouth like this as the hot coffee scalds my tongue. 90 degree weather in Wisconsin thinking about what to say. Because she gave me an in. She all but signed the marriage license right there. And I put the cup down and I said, Maria, this was my geography lesson. I said, Maria, you live in Wisconsin. I live in California. That's like 2,000 miles apart. I I don't know if we should date. Now, I knew I wanted to date her. My goodness, I've been like freaking out about this, but I choked in the moment. And I said, I got to go back and take my class. So she went off and I found out she just bawled all night long to her best friend. I went to my buddy and I said, I totally choked. What did I do? And he said, you got to go tell her you like her. So I went back that night. I told her I liked her. A little bit later on in the relationship, we were walking by a lake one night, same lake in Wisconsin that holds a special place in our heart. And, and um, I'm pretty sure I leaned in and gave her a kiss, and it was a real special moment. And I looked over, there were some canoes here about 10 feet away, and there was a homeless man just staring at us. (laughs) It's like, wow, just the three of us in this moment. It was really nice. (laughs) But I love that, I love that DTR with my wife, because here's the great thing about that DTR. It drew her in. Those are the fun ones, the ones where we, we draw people into ourselves. But we've all had DTRs that go the opposite direction. Whether it's the end of a relationship, whether it's uh, the end of a, a working partnership, and even in the context of friendship. Today what I want to talk about is what do we do when we realize we need to have a re-DTR? I want to ask us this question When would we know if we needed to redefine a friendship relationship? When would we know if we had invited someone into our lives, but the direction that we were walking with them was not the direction that we knew we should be going? And then what do we do if we find ourselves inviting people into our closest area of friendship, only to realize that as we walk with them, we're throwing dead fish into high school dances? Because remember, if you show me your friends, I can show you your future with startling accuracy. The people that we link arm with impact the direction and the shape that our lives will go. And as much as choosing the right friends sets us up for success in our marriage, in our finances, in our journey towards seeking after God and our parenting, the other side of the coin is also true. Choosing the wrong friends or inviting the wrong friends in can actually set us up to fail. That's why Solomon, who wrote our key verse for the series, also wrote this in Proverbs 26. He said, the righteous, and that word righteous literally means people who live rightly, who are choosing to live the life they were created to live. If you're a Jesus follower, you would say the righteous is someone who's living the life that God designed for you to live. He said the righteous, those who live rightly, choose their friends carefully. They're wise about who they invite in, but the way of the wicked has the propensity to lead righteous people astray. 
I have two big ideas I want us to process through together this morning and as we leave here. And the first one is this. I believe as I seek through what God would say in his word, I really believe that it is nearly impossible to live the right life when we have the wrong friends. It's nearly impossible to live the right life when we have the wrong friends. And we know that's true when it comes to our kids. That's why from an early age, we watch our kids to see who they're hanging out with, who they're associating with, who they're, who they're palling around with, because we realize that if they choose the right friends, even in elementary school, even in, in first grade, those friends will set them up for success in their life. But if they choose the wrong friends, man, it takes them down a path where they're doing things that aren't, aren't all that helpful. But here's the thing. I think we forget that that's also true for us as adults. I think sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking, well, kids are impressionable, but I'm not. So yeah, my kids need to choose the right friends because that will shape their life, but, but it doesn't necessarily matter to me. And, and we deceive ourselves. There's a guy named Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament of the Bible. But before Paul was a Christ follower, before he started planting churches, before he started writing what we now see in the New Testament of the Bible, Paul was a thug. Paul was a murderer. Paul hated Jesus' followers. He hated Jesus, and he hated the early church. So he would go around, and he would, he would throw Christians in jail, pull them out of their Bible study, put them in jail, have them stoned, separate families, kids crying, parents crying, never to see each other again. And then one day on a road, Paul, he found God, or I should say more specifically, God found him. Some of us are here today, and we think we're looking for God, but the truth is God's actually looking for us, and he wants to find us just like he found Paul. And God changed Paul's life, and he became a leader in the Christian church. And he wrote these letters that are in the New Testament that were letters to specific churches. And one of the letters he wrote, a book called First Corinthians, it's to this little church in a town called Corinth, where some people had in the church had formed friendships with some other folks, and these friendships were corrupting what God was trying to do in the lives of the people in the church. It was neg- negatively impacting them. And so Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15.33, said this to this little church in Corinth. He said, he said, don't be misled. Literally, don't, don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourself. Bad company corrupts good character. He's saying, listen, you're going to have a propensity to think that you are immune to the people that you surround yourselves with, but don't, don't deceive yourself. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. As I looked at that, I began to ask the question, why would Paul say, don't be misled? Why would Paul say, don't be deceived? And here's what I realized. When it comes to friendships, friendships aren't just a matter of the head, but they're also a matter of the heart because we genuinely love the people that we're friends with. And when it comes to matters of the heart, oftentimes our heart can outpace our head, and our love for people and our desire to have relationship with people can, can outpace what, what is wise. So he says, don't, don't deceive yourself, even in your friendships. Because he says, bad company will corrupt good character. And I want to talk about two ways that I think we become misled when it comes to defining and redefining our friendships. And the first one is this. I think oftentimes we rationalize away destructive friendships because in our heart we genuinely love people, and so we rationalize away 
a friendship that we know is destructive. Even as I'm talking, some of us are thinking about a certain person. It, that person came into your mind, and you know every time you're with that person, man, you just don't, you don't end up coming out the way you want to come out. It's, it's the person where you get home and your spouse says to you, every time you're with them, you're like a different person. But even as I'm talking right now, some of us are forming arguments in our heads to rationalize that friendship so that we don't have to redefine the relationship. You might be saying something like this. Yeah, well, we grew up together. We've been friends since we were kids. Or you might say, well, our kids are friends. They play soccer together, baseball together. They cheer together. Or you might say, we work together. I see this person every day. We begin to rationalize away destructive friendships. It's kind of like the teenage girl who starts dating a jerk. And everybody knows he's a jerk. Her parents know he's a jerk. Her friends know he's a jerk. He's saying, why, why are you dating this guy? He's a, he's, he's a jerk. We can all see it. He's, he's not doing good things. And what does she say? She says, oh, you don't understand. He's just, he's misunderstood. He's just misunderstood. He's had a tough life. She looks at him. She says, he's going he's gonna to change. I'm going I'm to change him. I can't, man, I'm thinking about my daughter. She's five. So I'm thinking like in 20 years when she starts dating, if she brings home a jerk, okay, I say a lot of jokes. That wasn't one of them. <laughs> in 20 years, when she starts dating, if she brings home a jerk, which she's not going to, but if she ever did, I would say, honey, what are you doing dating this guy? She said, daddy, daddy, you don't understand. He's just, he had a rough childhood. And come on, you're, you're a pastor and, and, and he's misunderstood and I'm going to change him. You don't know what it's like to, to, to be like he is. And I would say to her, yeah, uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I was that jerk, okay? If it wasn't for God changing my life, I would still be that jerk. Don't date a jerk. Amen. You're crazy if you date a jerk. What is she doing? What are, what are, these, what are, what are these girls doing? They're, they're rationalizing a destructive relationship. And we look at it, we say, no, you're going to hurt yourself. But in the same way, some of us might be looking at friendships right now, and I'm, I'm just going to give us some categories to look at. I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to give you some categories. Some of us know there's a friendship that we're in right now, and it's not any good for me. Every time you're with a person, you think, that's not, that's not who I want to be. That's not who I want to be. Every time you're with that person, you come home and you're drunk, and you think, that's not who I, I want to be. Because when we were teenagers together getting drunk on Friday night, that was kind of cool. And when we, were, when we were in college together getting drunk every Thursday and Friday and Saturday night, that was like, we were that guy. And then we hit our 20s, and it was, we were drinking together like four nights a week. And it was like, well, you know, they're still kind of living in the college experience. And now we hit our 30s. And you know what they call us now? Alcoholics. Yeah, they call us alcoholics. It's like, I don't, I don't want to be an alcoholic anymore, but every time I'm with them, I just get drunk every time. But, but we've been doing this for 20 years. We rationalize. Or maybe you have a friend, and every time you, you leave that friendship, you're just more negative. You're just like, ugh, why am, I, why am I so negative all the time? Maybe it's a relationship, and every time you leave that relationship, you just feel more insecure about yourself. Maybe every time you leave that relationship, you just feel belittled because of a weird power dynamic going on. We tell ourselves, yeah, but, but I love this person. I want to stay with this person in this friendship. And Paul would say this, don't be deceived. Bad company always corrupts good character. And we mislead ourselves when we rationalize away destructive relationships rather than dealing with them 
head on. And listen, I, I was going to call this series Unfriending, because that's what you do on Facebook. But we all know unfriending is super easy. You can just block the person or unfriend them, and it's, it's, not, it's not a big deal. But in real life, man, that gets a lot more messy. So we're not talking about unfriending. We're just talking about redefining relationships. And I'll talk about that in a second. Because here's the second thing we do that misleads us. Oftentimes we think it's unloving to invite certain people into deeper levels of friendship than others. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I want to tell you I'm, I'm so excited you're here. We created this church for you, a place for you to come where there were no barriers that would keep you from really encountering God. We want you to kick your shoes off, bring in some coffee, enjoy yourself. I want you to connect with God in a really deep way. But right now I want to talk to those of us who are Jesus followers for a second because I think there's a tension that we feel when it comes to friendships. Because we look at what Paul says, and, and Paul seems to say, listen, you need to be strategic and wise about who you invite into your life and who you kind of keep at arm's distance. He says you need to be choosy. In fact, Paul gets really strong at other points in the Bible. He says, don't even associate with people who are given to outbursts of anger. Don't even associate with them. And you think, well, Paul, that seems unloving. And I'm a Jesus follower, and Jesus said to love people. In fact, when when Jesus was walking around the earth, what did he say? He said, the most important thing you can do with your life is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything in you. He said, and the second most important command is this, and we, we love this one, love your neighbor as yourself. We think, well, who's right? Is Paul right that we should be choosy and have certain people who are kind of here and other people who are kind of here? Or is Jesus right that we should love everybody? Because let's be honest, Jesus seemed to associate with a lot of people who we would say have bad character. If you read the Gospels, which are the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell the story of Jesus's life. And we see Jesus hanging out with pro-government IRS agents who were embezzling money from people. We see Jesus hanging out with anti-government rioters. We see Jesus hanging out with prostitutes. We see Jesus hanging out with adulterers. We see Jesus hanging out with people who the rest of society shunned, oftentimes for good reason. And we have to ask ourselves the question, who's right? Is, is Jesus right or is Paul right? Should we, should we separate from people or should we love everybody? I want to say this. I, I think they're both right. I think they're both right. Jesus genuinely loved every single person he came into contact with equally. He even loved his enemies. That's why we know that Jesus left heaven and came to earth and he lived a perfect life because he loved people. He gave his life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Why? Because he loves all people, even his enemies. He loves them equally. That's why people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And he genuinely loved people who had bad character. But even though Jesus loved everyone equally, he did not treat everyone equally when it came to friendship. See, Jesus had thousands of followers, thousands of followers who came and listened to him teach and who, uh, who ate when he, we, he had these huge like banquets of fish and bread. It was delicious to thousands of followers who followed him everywhere. And then, then of those thousands, he had like 70-some people who kind of really got what he was trying to do. And he sent them out as missionaries all over the place to talk about him. So he had thousands, and then he had 70-some. And then he had like 15 to 20 regular traveling buddies. 
including his 12 disciples and a number of other women who partnered with him in ministry. And they walked together, these 15 to 20, and they knew each other more than the 70, and they knew each other more than the thousands. And then of those 15 to 20, he picked 12 disciples who he shared friendship with, genuine friendship with. They sat around campfires and talked and laughed and dreamed. They did ministry together. And then of those 12 disciples, he picked three, Peter, James, and John, to be his his best friends. And he took those three, and they knew him at a deeper level than anybody else on this earth. He was transparent with them, and he allowed himself to be vulnerable with them. And because Jesus had a core group of people who were committed to God and committed to sharing a spiritual journey with them, he was able to love all people better. See, they kept him grounded in what God had called him to do on this earth. And because he knew what he was here for, he knew how to love other people better. And the same is true for us. We've, we've got to have core friendships, four, five, six, seven people who have direct access to our lives. Even Jesus, who was God in the flesh, had a core group that had direct access to his life. And if he needs it, we need it. It's not going to be 20 people or 30 people, a handful. Four, five, six, seven, maybe, maybe 10 people who have direct access to our life. And those core, those core people need to be committed to taking a journey with God with us. That's our second big idea for the day is that we need to have a core group of people committed to taking a journey with us. And when our core group of friends are committed to taking this journey with God, here's what will happen. They will help us have spiritual roots that go deeper. They're kind of like fertilizer for our soul. If you imagine your life as like a tree, they're fertilizer for your soul. These core group of people who are taking a journey with you, they help our spiritual roots go deeper. And as our spiritual roots go deeper, our love's able to go further. The more we know who God created us to be and why he created us to be here and how deeply he loves us, the more we allow God to change and transform us along with a group of core people. You know what we'll be able to do? We'll be able to love everyone better. Starting next week and for the next four weeks, we're going to move into what I'm calling phase two of this friending series. And phase two is all about what it looks like to be an intentional community of friends who are taking a spiritual journey together for the sake of becoming all God created us to be so that we can love people more fully, so we can love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. But I want to ask you a question today. Could it be, could it be that there is a friend or two who you've invited into your core and you know right now that relationship needs to be redefined? It's not that you love them any less, but it's that when you look at your friendship and you look at your future, you don't want your future going where that friendship is going to take you. It could be that it's something as simple as they're just a, a negative person or a gossip every time you're with them, you find yourself being a little more negative and a little more gossipy. If you don't know if they're, if they're a negative person, just go on Facebook. If like, if like 80% of their posts are negative, complaining about the waiter, complaining about the traffic, complaining about this horrible Sonoma County weather, you know, uh, they're a negative person. That was a joke because it's not bad weather. You laugh at the non-jokes and then you, okay. They're probably a negative person. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you hang out with a negative person long enough, you know what's going to happen? 
they're going to be more negative. If you hang out with someone who gossips, who talks about other people behind their back long enough, guess what? One of these days, you're not going to be there and you're going to be the focal point of conversation. Are there friendships that need to be redefined? Or maybe it's someone from your past. Like I said, like a drinking buddy or, or some friends in high school you used to go out with and you just would get in fights all the time together. Whenever you get together, just the testosterone starts going and you want to go out and fight. Maybe it's someone from your past, the past sin pattern in your life that you want to distance yourself from. And it's not that you don't love them. It's just that, man, if you keep them in your core, if they influence your life, it's going to take you in a direction you don't want to go. Walk with the wise and become wise. But on the other side of that, a companion of fools suffer harms, hang out with idiots long enough. Eventually, you're going to become an idiot. Or, or maybe it's someone who's super materialistic, all about, about getting, 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 mine, 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 me, me, me. And you're trying to go to a place of simplicity where you say, God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. But every time you're with them, you just want more for you. Maybe it's time to redefine that relationship. I would say anybody, anybody who encourages you to do things that you know are, are outside of God's plan for your life, fine to keep them as a friend, but do you want them in your core? In your core? Because we only have so many core friendships. My buddy Landon let me borrow his Legos. And Landon's my son, by the way. He's not a 33-year-old who plays with Legos. My little man let me borrow his Legos, and I was thinking about friendships in the context of Legos and thinking about these four dots in the context of connectors. We only have so many connecting points that we have time for in our lives. We only have so many close friends. We can't be close friends with 50 people. For some of us, it's four, some five, some six, some ten. But, but God would say this, I think. Be choosy about who you fill your connectors with because that someday those connectors are going to fill up. Remember, these are the people who have direct access to our lives, who shape the direction we're going. And it only takes one of those connectors to get sideways to change the whole shape of your life. Now, I'm not saying don't be friends with this connector. I'm simply saying maybe they don't get direct access to every area of your life. Maybe you you redefine the relationship and you bring in someone who is going to help you connect more closely with God so that you can love this person more fully, so that someday they will be a close connector in your life. What would it look like if your core group of friends encouraged you to experience God's best in every area of your life? Imagine what would it be like if your core group of friends was was pushing your marriage to become the best that it could be. Imagine if your core group of friends looked at your life and said, God's put a dream in your life that he wants to make a reality and we want to support you and we want to encourage you to make your dream a reality. Imagine having your core group of friends that you share life with who help your parenting to be God-honoring. Imagine a core group of friends who, who walk with you in your business and help you make wise, ethical choices. Man, how powerful would those friends be in your life? Those are the kind of friends that help us experience all that God wants for us. The natural question becomes as we close our time together, how do I find these friends? Well, I've said before, if you want to find a workout buddy, go to the gym. If you want to find a drinking buddy, go to the bar. If you want to find a Bears fan, talk to me. I'm not going to make a reference to last Sunday. I'm not going to. I said, I'm not going to make a reference to last Sunday. I'm not going to do that. That would be shallow and rude and immature, and I'm not, I'm not that kind of guy. Oh, yeah. 
If you want to find friends who help you connect with God, might I suggest that you're in the right place? Church is a good place to find friends who can help your spiritual roots go deeper, but an even better place is a life group. A life group. And life groups are just groups of people. 8, 10, 12, 14. We're trying to stop them at like 16 so we can actually have relationships with each other. Life groups are groups of people who are on a similar spiritual journey who we're just saying, God, we want to give you the opportunity in these groups to help us form friendships with each other and see what God might want to do with those friendships. And uh, if you're here and you've been here for a while and you have some friends, maybe you invite them to join a life group with you. But if you're here and there are so many of us who are brand new, I, I love it. I'm looking around our church and I see, I see new faces every single Sunday. I love that. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I don't know anybody to join a life group with. That's great the best thing you could do would be to join a life group because you have a built-in opportunity to make some friends in a non-threatening way who will help you make your roots go deeper so your love can be broader. What I want us to do right now as we wrap our time up is I want us to grab these life group brochures and inside of it, they talk about all the groups we have going on this fall. Life groups meet for 12 weeks. They'll start in October, run until just before Christmas. And again, our groups are trying to do two things. We're trying to create some connecting points for you to find friendships. And we're trying to see what God does in helping us draw close to him. It's an experiment in friending. And I want to encourage you, find a group that's right for you. We're going to take a second. My buddy's going to play some music so it's not super quiet in here. And then you can look through. In the beginning, there's a letter from me. And then inside of that, it has our groups by day of the week and uh, starting with Monday. And if you really liked the Monday group, it says what the demographic is. This group's open to anybody. It happens on Monday at 6.30. It's at Brian and Michelle Miller's house. And you think, oh, I've heard of Brian and Michelle Miller. They... They seem like they'd be a lot of fun to hang out with. Try joining that group. If you want to join that group, you would just grab your Start Here card, and on the back in big red letters it says Sign Up for Life Group, and you would put M-O-N-01. That's the life group you're joining, and then you're in. Your leader contacts you this week. It's that simple. I want to say this. For some of us, it might take two, three, four, five different life groups before we actually find people we connect with, and that's okay. We're actually going to give you some freedom to join a life group for two weeks, and if you don't connect with the people— You can move out of that life group, no questions asked, no hard feelings, to join a different group and see if you connect with those people. This is not not something to freak out about. We just get to try forming friendships. So find a group that's right for you. Sign up for it. Go ahead and look through this, starting with the day of the week. Read through them. Find a group. Talk to your friends. And go. I do want to, as I close our time together, I want to talk to you. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus— I just, want to, I just want to spend a second and tell you that this whole friending series, this whole idea of relationships, it's not our church's idea to have a good life. It's God's idea. See, God created us to be in relationship with each other, but most importantly, God created us to be in a relationship with Him. Jesus left heaven and came to earth, and He gave His life on a cross because we had been separated from a relationship with our Heavenly Father because of sin. And when He took our sin upon Himself on the cross, He made a way for us to, to be forgiven and to have a relationship with him. And as great as this friending thing is and these relationships are, the best relationship you can ever have is a relationship with a heavenly father who loves you. So I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to close our time, but in that prayer, I'm going to give you a chance. If you've never started a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, not like church activity, not like joining a small group, but an actual relationship with God, this is your opportunity to do that. So let's join together in prayer. First, I'm going to pray for all of us, then I'll pray for you if you're ready to make that decision. Lord, we're, we're trying out new things. We're trying out friendships. We're taking you at your word, and we're saying, God, would you help us to form friendships that would 
that would help us to know you more fully and to live the life we were created for more completely. As we do that, as my friends take risks and join life groups and meet new people and try new things and step out of their comfort zones, God, would you honor this risk that they're taking? Would you help us to find a few close friendships that would help us to both connect with you and to live the life you created us to live? As we continue to pray, if you're here and you've never entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I want you to know God loves you. He could not love you more than he does right now. And he's inviting you to start a journey with him today that will shape this life and will lead you into eternity with your heavenly father. If you're ready to make that decision, you can whisper this simple prayer. Just repeat it out loud or, or say it in your head and mean it with everything in you. Just say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you love me enough that you gave your life on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And today I say, yes, yes, I want this relationship that you're offering. Yes, I want to know you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your spirit, Lord? Would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward to eternity? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.